Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. Elm City Church is a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together. No matter where you're at, these messages are meant to equip and strengthen you for the journey. You can find out more by visiting elmcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I went to a theater in Vermont to watch the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor? The documentary film was about the life and legacy of none other than Mr. Fred Rogers, the host and creator of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, we knew it was going to be good, but we didn't know it was going to be so good that in one minute I'd be eating my bowl of popcorn and the next minute I would be ugly crying into my lap. But it was that good. And um, Mr. Rogers did a few things that I think made him very significant to our world. For one, we know that he now, well, now we know that he transformed the way that the world first understood uh, children's programming. And he did this by emphasizing things like compassion, creativity, curiosity, and intentional listening. I remember being a youngster and watching Mr. Rogers and learning about fish from Mr. Rogers. Also, I was talking to somebody earlier this morning, and they were talking about how great it was to learn about factories from Mr. Rogers, because he always went to those factories and you know, taught you about how things worked. One review I read said that the most radical thing about him was his unwavering commitment to the value of kindness in the face of the world that could seem intent on devising new ways to be mean. Pretty accurate. You'll probably remember this if you grew up watching it, but Mr. Rogers began every episode by walking through his front door, putting on a cardigan sweater and tennis shoes, and singing a familiar line that quickly became synonymous with him. Do you remember how it goes? Won't you be, won't you be, please won't you be my neighbor? Yeah, absolutely. Good job. Wow, you guys, see? You know, we're still up with it. We, got, we're, we're, we know what's going on. Don't let anybody fool you. <laughs> um, what's interesting about this question, uh, won't you be my neighbor, is that he wasn't asking if someone was his neighbor. He was extending an invitation for everyone to be his neighbor. And reflecting on that line years later, Mr. Rogers said that he always thought of it as an invitation to be close. Now, the truth is that Mr. Rogers embodied a concept that is not new. In those rare interviews where he opened up, he quietly explained that his philosophy of neighborly love flowed out of his faith in Jesus. It's pretty cool. And if you've been tracking along with our series at all up until now, you'll probably recognize this picture. There it is, the stool. We've seen the stool a few times throughout this, the last few weeks here. But as you can see, one of the legs on the stool represents a distinct Christian value, a, a distinct Christian ethic, and that is love neighbor, love for neighbor. And uh, I love that quote because it says, if any of those stool pegs are removed, it becomes a sub-Christian ethic. And that's what I want to look at with you today is the idea of what it means to be 
someone's neighbor and to love one's neighbor. So in order to do that, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 25 to 29, and we'll also have it up on the screen for you. We also have Bibles in the back. If you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, um, by all means, we would love for you to take one and just take that home with you as our gift today. We want everybody to have a Bible or some way to access the scriptures. Very important for us as a church, as it is what we use. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29. Uh, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Ironically, all this religious leader wanted to know was who he had to be kind to and who he could ignore. And in order to underscore the failure in his thinking, Jesus shared with him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you remember that story. You'll recall that some religious Jews overlook a man in dire need of help beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. But then the unexpected happens, right? A vilified Samaritan man comes along and acts with compassion toward the beaten man on the road. The Samaritan didn't know him. In fact, if you look into it, they are considered cultural enemies. But he swiftly, nonetheless, met his needs without hesitation, showing that this too was his neighbor. You know, part of what made Mr. Rogers effective in our time was not not only that he forced the public to consider this question of who is my neighbor, which, by the way, was first answered by Jesus, but that he also steadfastly embodied Jesus's response. So it wasn't just a question, unending questions that we could ask, but he also gave responses. And this is what made him a light, opening doors into communities and traditions that seem oftentimes barred shut to even the slightest hint of the gospel today. Maybe you knew this, but Fred Rogers was actually an ordained Presbyterian minister. In fact, as I left the house today, I asked my wife, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being Presbyterian minister, how do I look? Mr. Rogers was ordained in the Presbyterian church But instead of being a pastor in a church building with a church congregation, his church commissioned him to minister to children and their families through television. And this became his mission field. But it also highlights another key point, and I want to focus on it today with you a little bit, is that Fred had a value for the local church. He had a value for the local church when it came to loving his neighbors. Let me make a bold statement for you this morning. Without a lived value for the local church, you will not be effective in the mission of God. I'm going to say that again. Without a lived value for the local church, you will not be effective in the mission of God. Like I said, bold statement. 
But here's why I think it's both true and critical. Because Jesus designed the local church to be his vehicle for effective gospel engagement. The local church is Jesus's strategy when it comes to loving our neighbors and reaching a broad range of people with the message of the life-changing gospel. Sure, you can do a lot of good stuff on your own, but there's a reason why scripture never describes Christians as isolated or autonomous. You'll never find any sort of description of the Christian community where you see Lone Range Christians. Rather, it describes the local church as many parts of one body, a community of believers joined together in order to achieve a greater purpose together that none of us could achieve on our own. So I want to look at this. I want to explore this a little bit about how the local church is the most effective vehicle for loving our neighbors well. And the first point is that the church is a community of truth. Ephesians chapter three, verse 10 says that God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom. What defines Christian community is the truth. A community built on anything else will eventually fall apart. Our culture has reinforced this lesson over and over time and time again. And at a time when people are encouraged to find their truth, the church has been called to hold on to the enduring truth of the Christian faith. So in our context, Elm City Church is not a social club or a shared hobby. We're not a political view. What's at the core of our faith community here? is a commitment to and a belief in the truth of the gospel. That's what defines us. We, and we don't define truth. We find truth in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He sets the agenda for us to live under, to live by. In tandem, central to a church's Identity and central to our church's identity as a community of truth is our imperative to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter four outlines this premise. The danger in doing one over the other, that is either speaking the truth without love or trying to show love without the truth. This is the danger we can fall into. And this is why Paul says that it is only when we speak the truth in love that the church can grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. If you were with us for our last series, you you learned a little bit about that. All right, number two, the church is an embedded community. So not only is the church a community of truth, but the, the church is an embedded community. The community of truth lives within a specific context embedded in the local community. The famous Christian missionary Leslie Newbegin said, if the gospel is to challenge the public life of our society, it will only be by movements that begin with the local congregation in which the reality of the new creation is present, known, and experienced, and from which men and women will go into every sector of public life to claim it for Christ to unmask the illusions which have remained hidden and to expose all areas of public life to the illumination of the gospel. 
the local church is a kingdom outpost in a particular place. And now if either one of these two things are neglected, mission is going to suffer, people or place. For instance, if the church is only concerned about its members and their relationship with God, it can do so at the expense of its neighbors and the neighborhood. This is often what happens when you see churches that are dying. You know, they hit the top of the bell curve a long time ago, and now it's very clear that they only exist for themselves, and they become very insular and only focused on themselves. That's, a, that's what we call a slow death of a church community. Now, the flip side is that a local church can be so ingrained in the community that it simply becomes another neighborhood social program. These types of communities oftentimes cease to translate the gospel to those around them, and instead they fade into the background as just another group. The church is not just another group, okay? It's not just another group that we can, on a smorgasbord of choices, say yes or no to if we expect to follow Jesus. It's supposed to be a gospel-translating community. So as a church, we have to hold this tension or this place of people and place in balance if we hope to remain effective. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want Elm City to ever get to the point where we just do church for doing church's sake. I always want our community to be led out of a deep conviction and a deep passion for the lost and the people that need to know the life-changing message of the gospel and also for you in your personal discipleship to Jesus. We can do both. We should do both. Number three, the church is a community of hope. A faith community is called to boldly proclaim the glorious hope that Jesus' good news offers. We don't just attend services. We are ambassadors of the living God in the world around us. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Do you believe that? We live, in, we live in times of intensity, don't we? We live in times of immense change in our society, in politics. And, and here's going to be my one line for today. The work of our hope in Jesus has never been and will never be determined by who is in office. It's true. The work of our church community will always, always, always continue on. There's nothing that changes our mission as a church today as it did from the day we started. And we will continue on. But there are changes in politics, in technology, and Here's how it comes into play with us. How we navigate this change together will show the world the mark of our hope. How we navigate tumultuous times in our lives, in the life of our church community, or in the cultural uh, moorings around us will model to the world where our hope actually lies. When we go through both trials and victories, the local church reveals that our hope is set on Christ's kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. That is why we bear with one another, we serve one another, and pour into one another, because the hope that we have should define how we see and engage the world around us, and somehow 
mysteriously. Don't ask me how this works. Somehow, as we live into the hope that we have, the world should see our example and they should be drawn to the gospel. That's, what, that's how Jesus set it up. He said that they will see our example in the church and how we treat each other and how we treat those around us and that will be a message to the world around us. That will be something that people should look at and say, wow, what's that all about? That looks attractive to me. So I want to switch gears here a little bit. We've talked a little bit about how the church is supposed to kind of conduct itself in this cultural moment. But I want to switch gears and finish up by moving us from the theoretical into the more practical. Because I feel like if, if we leave here today and we just hear about what the church is and we don't actually hear how we can live this out, I, I've failed you. <laughs> um, it, it's great to hear about what the church is and what it's not. But how do we live into this? Because guess what? The church is people. It's not a building. It's like this building is not gonna walk out the mission of the church. <laughs> you are. You are people. You are this church. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we can move from the theoretical to the practical. You know, one of the, one of the genius moves of Mr. Rogers is that he took the passive, the passive nature of the noun neighbor and which oftentimes I think can lead us to inaction. I'm guilty of this. Like I have neighbors. I am a neighbor. But he moved us to see that neighbor is actually an action word. And he moved us from being a neighbor to asking how can we neighbor? Does that make sense? Neighboring. And this is sort of what I think, you know, again, he... It was awesome how he did this because it was so subtle. But over time, you understood. He really, he really wanted to get to know his neighbors. And he was an example for us and for the church. So how can our church neighbor well? This is the question I want to try to dig into a little bit here. The first thing is, and these are some practical suggestions. So if you feel like you want to write these down, uh, by all means. Um, we also, the, these messages are available uh, usually by Mondays online, on YouTube, on podcast, whatever. And you can go back to this if you need to. But how can our church neighbor well? Well, the first thing is that we can know who our neighbors are. <laughs> Seems really, really elementary, right? But this is half of it. This is half of it, knowing who our neighbors are. There's no better place to serve as a missionary of grace than with the people who live next door, on our streets, in our towns, and it starts with a period of discovery. It starts with a period of knowing who our neighbors are. And I believe this, where we are positioned, both as a church and a community, is not by accident. I also believe that Paul knew something about this as well. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26 through 27, it says, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God is not far from anyone. He makes himself known to the world through people. And this theological truth has dramatic significance to how you and I live in our communities. I want to tell you guys a quick story about how this, I think, has happened recently. 
Um, so we were doing Sunday night church here for a bit. And one thing that we would do is oftentimes afterwards we would see, you know, there's a small group of us that would uh, go downtown afterwards and sort of hang out. And we, we quickly made Modest Man in town, like our spot, which is pretty, pretty great. And um, we, you know, we went through a period of transition where for two weeks we didn't go to Modest Man on Thursday night. And we went back the following Thursday after two weeks off and we get to the food truck and the guy at the food truck goes, where have you guys been? He had begun to associate Thursday nights with Elm City Church. And when we didn't actually show up, it was like, he, he, it seemed like he missed us. It was like, whoa. We, all of us who experienced that sort of like we're blown away by, I'm still blown away by it. You know, it's like there are inroads being made into the community that we don't even know about when we're just simply showing up places. That's, we'll, we'll find that out. <laughs> but <laughs> um, until then, you know, we're going to keep going there. We're going to keep serving. We're going to keep showing up and doing what we like to call incarnational ministry. It's my favorite type at Modest Man, to be honest with you. Um, it, it's great. It's great to just be in the places that other people are in our, in our community. You know, I, it would be super boring if all we ever did as a church would show up to a service here. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know. It, I love you all, and I love this place. I think it's great. God has given us this space. It's a beacon of hope downtown, but we cannot stay in this building. We've got to go. We've got to go out there. We've got to be with people. I love that we've formed such an awesome neighborly relationship with the Marriott across the street. Man, they are so, they're so good to us. Um, we've gotten to know the management over there, and we've had opportunities to pray for people there. It's just been so good to, to know our neighbors. Of course, you know, we, we are, I'm gonna talk about Mananot Family Services in a minute, but our, our other neighbors that God is opening up doors. But it started with us getting to know our neighbors. We have to know who our neighbors are if we hope to be effective in the mission of God as a church. It takes intentionality to know your neighbors. You can apply this directly to your situation. It takes some intentionality to get to know your neighbors, but I think that this is the first step to effective neighboring. Just being someone's neighbor as a label is not gonna cut it when it comes to being intentional. Number two, we can list our connections. Move mission from the theoretical to the practical by keeping an updated list of the connections that you have made. This moves beyond simply, map, uh, simply mapping those in close physical proximity to listing the names of the people who are in relational and professional proximity to you and your family, including your coworkers, your friends, your acquaintances, your family, both near and far. You might see that some of these people you, you only come in contact with once or twice a year, and you might see others every day. But having and keeping a list will help you take next steps consistently and regularly to minister to your family and your friends in, in intentional ways. And do this, um, as you make lists, or I'm gonna send out a little helpful uh, template for how you can do this to be, to be practical. Um, put, put this, as you begin to make these lists, put, uh, put these on your fridge, put them by your bed or in your Bible. Um, you are more likely to think on it and pray into it if it's near you. I, I find that to be true with myself. So we're gonna send you a little helpful resource. Hopefully you guys can start to begin to take that and use that in practical ways. 
And then number three, we can engage the community. Uh, think about for a second the, the community or the neighborhood of where our church is, okay? Begin to think about your neighborhood or the people that are in close proximity to where you are. What are the unique needs around us? What are the unique needs around you? How can we meet those needs as a church? How can you meet those needs in your neighborhood? We're doing that right now when it comes to, like I said, Mananot Family Services. Um, we, we were presented with a need, and now it's blossoming into a nice, really nice neighborly friendship that we feel like we're gonna have, be able to partner with the Mananot Family Services for years to come on things. They're already doing things way better than we already do. We need to look for the opportunities to serve. And keep this in mind, serving in the name of Jesus is not always something that we have to organize. Um, we don't always have to start our own ministry in order to have something meaningful. Um, we used to, over the years, we, you know, we, we would partner, um, early on we partnered with the community kitchen and they, they did such a great job. We just walked in and you know, we were you know, willing, able to serve and they, they had their act together in terms of they helped us serve people in our community. The church didn't organize it. There's people who are doing these things already that we can come alongside and partner with for the sake of the gospel. It's not gonna, you know, we're not trying to one-up anybody's agency in town. We're simply trying to partner on behalf of the gospel to serve our local communities. It's also a great way to rub shoulders with people in our community that already have a value to serve other people. Um, You know, they might not be there with the same, like, intention, motivation, but who cares? <laughs> like people have a desire to serve in our community and that desire to serve our community, it doesn't matter who they are, that desire deeply and innately comes from the heart of God to serve other people because God did that. God first produced that. So we can know our neighbors, we can know who they are, we can list our connections and we can engage the community. And the key to the effectiveness of these tools for us as a congregation, as a family, is faithfulness to the task out of the proper motivation. The only way that we will be faithful to this and what God is calling us to do in being good neighbors is when we are motivated by the fact that Jesus is already faithful on your behalf. It's like he did it. He did all the work. And we let him down. He never lets us down. Jesus lived as what we might call an exiled missionary ambassador and he labored for your soul so that you could joyfully join him in his mission for the world. He empowers this mission. So here's what I I just want to encourage us today. Let's, Let's get out there. Let's get out of our comfort zones Let's know our neighbors. Let's embrace our calling to move mission in from the theoretical to the practical. Let's learn together how we can love our neighbors.